Hi, welcome to the Let's Get Lytical podcast, the podcast that likes to get lit and political. My name's Helen Femi-Williams and I'm your host. Please follow our social media on Let's Get Lytical on TikTok, Twitter and Instagram and join the conversations that are happening on the podcast, off the podcast. Please also leave us a review on Apple, Spotify or anywhere else you listen to podcasts because we'd appreciate it. As you know, we've partnered with the Mozilla Foundation to bring together an incredible podcast series on AI, politics and activism. The annual Mozilla Festival is for anyone interested in technology, human rights and the future of the internet. It's the premium gathering for diverse global movements across the world who are fighting for a more humane digital world. This year is taking place virtually from March the 7th to the 10th. Visit mozillafestival.org to grab your ticket and join from anywhere in the world. You'll have access to sessions, workshops, discussions, art, and so much more. So this week, we're actually talking to people from two different spaces. Giles comes from the digitizing culture and languages space, and he's currently a third year PhD researcher in quantitative economics. And then in terms of the decolonization and artificial intelligence space, we're speaking to Ufa, who's the co-founder of the Digital Roots Movement and a coordinator for the Nigerian Youth Internet Governance Forum. Hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Ufa. Hi, guys. It's so nice to have you both on the podcast. I just want to start off, you know, by why don't you just tell us about yourselves and the work you do in the different spaces that you're in? So I know that Ufa, you're looking at decolonizing AI and Gaz, you're looking at the digitization and culture of it. And I think they work quite well in this conversation when we look at kind of the biases as well as like kind of that cultural element of AI that people sometimes forget, which I think speaks very nicely into the kind of decolonizing as well. So maybe Ufa Star and then Giles after. Sure. Um, so hi, Helen. Um, my name is Ufa Madi. Um, I'm a software engineer based in the UK. Um, I'm from Nigeria. I'm also the co-founder and global lead of Digital Grassroots. That's a global youth-led non-profit aimed at promoting digital literacy on internet governance and digital rights issues for youth from underrepresented regions. And we're excited to be a part of this um, podcast representing the, the colonized AI space. Yeah, so hi, Helen. Uh, so delighted to be here. Uh, so I'm, I'm from Benin, uh, currently in France. Uh, I'm a machine learning research engineer. Um, I'm also an active member and NLP research, research engineer at Masakani, uh, and co-founder of AI for Innov. Um, is working for inclusive AI. Um, I'm currently finish, finishing my PhD degree in econometrics and machine learning. And proudly wrangler for the Mozilla Festival 2022 uh, in the digitizing cultures and languages space. Really happy to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you. And I think it's such an important topic. And I'm actually Nigerian myself. So, you know, it's great to have like my other West Africans on the call. <laughs> and, um, and I think it is really important, especially when you look at Africa and a lot of the problems, or not the problems actually, but I would say maybe challenges that um, you have when you look at 
AI and sometimes forgetting um, the differences that different people have. Um, but I would I would love you guys to speak on that rather than me. Like decolonizing AI, what does that actually mean and why is that needed? Okay, so as AI is being developed um, and used more and more around the world, um, with most of the technology being de- developed in the Western region, it makes us believe that this crucial piece of technology embeds the Western cultures and values by default. Um, so therefore, decolonizing AI basically means reflecting on how these Western principles are embedded in globally used technology and exploring the best practices for making the technology more diverse and more inclusive of the global majority. And by the global majority, I'm referring to um, African, Asian, Middle Eastern region, Latin America, Black, Indigenous, and basically um, communities that are um, racialized as ethnic minorities. Totally. I, I I think it's so important because of those kind of biases that you talk of. And I feel as though when it then comes on to kind of the differences that people have in cultures, you see a lot of issues with that when it comes online. So guys, do you have any kind of examples of, you know, where that's an issue when it comes to kind of creating, like bringing that sort of digital culture online? Yeah, yeah. Uh, currently, uh, I, I want to talk about, um, I would say, particular uh, aspect of cultures that that are languages. So in Africa, for instance, you have more than two uh, two thousand languages. Uh, but when you come online, uh, you only see like majority English or French or Spanish, etc. Et uh, and uh, the problem is that most of the people in Africa, uh, part of them go at school and learn English or French, but lots of them do not know any of those languages. And when they come uh, to, when, when they try to adopt new technologies, they just realize that they're, they're, they are like uh, illiterate. They, they, they can't, uh, and lots of people in villages and so on, they can't just use the technology because it is not in their language. It is not some, some something that they can understand, or maybe they understand, but uh, like you can have people speak speaking French, but they cannot explicitly uh, ex- express all the ideas uh, in in this language. And this is a real problem when it comes to when it comes to uh, digital inclusion and digital education. For me, it's about the principles and the cultures. Um, AI has the power to be one of the most life-influencing, cutting-edge technology in existence. The policies, principles, standards, and basically everything relating to the adoption of AI globally should be inclusive of global stakeholders from various regions on Earth. So currently, with the Western world being at the forefront of AI development, it creates a situation where their principles and cultures guide the way the technology is developed and therefore sets the, in quotes, truths for global AI standards that everyone has to adhere to. So in my opinion, this is some sort of, um, let me say, modern day colonization. For sure. And I think there are like a lot of ethical considerations, like the choice to present certain information while leaving others behind is a decision that is impacted, you know, impacts politics, cultural preferences and social values. And I think it's really interesting what you say there about kind of the West holding that as a, this is the truth and everyone else kind of has a, well, I don't know, we have to follow. So I guess my question is, 
what are we leaving behind? Like from your perspective as um, a Nigerian or, or someone from Benin who also lives in the West, like, you know, what do you see are the things that we're leaving behind? And what are the ethical considerations that AI isn't taken into consideration? I think I will talk a bit more about the, um, let me say, scenarios, the real life scenarios where we have had a couple of instances where at the technical level of AI, these considerations have not yet been um, represented. And so far we have, uh, and then issues may arise. For example, at the technical level, level, it is possible for racially biased AI to be instituted into the software. For example, um, what happens when developers do not consider darker colored skin tones when training facial AI um, technology that may be used for security and access into high-profile buildings or when natural language processing software does not accommodate non-Western accents and intonations. Just creates all these scenarios where the technology literally leaves behind a group of people. Absolutely. Like I saw on Twitter, um, so you know, obviously when you get your passport done now, it takes a picture of you and whatever, and it is just all like AI. There's no human behind it. I saw on Twitter, there was a girl and she had quite big lips and the computer thing basically said like, close your mouth, like um, your mouth is open. And I feel like that's an example where the AI is just, well, it's just pretty racist, to be honest. Like, there's no other way of saying it. But if you had people <laughs> who were not just, you know, why that that situation would not have occurred because it would have recognised that that is totally wrong, or not totally wrong, but recognised, you know, the differences in shapes of of people's um, features. So I think that's an example where you have maybe it's not intrinsically trying to be racist, but having not, you know, a difference of people um, does create that. And so I guess I, that leads me on to kind of talking about ghost work. Like, do you see ghost work? And I guess what I mean by ghost work is kind of the today, you know, when it comes to like, let's say an iPhone or something, a lot of the brain or the the design is made in America and the UK and like the West. And, uh, you know, a lot of the um, the manufacturing is made in Asia. And then a lot of the minerals are found in Africa. Like, how does that speak to this kind of re like creating like this digital imperialism that we need to kind of decolonize okay um so i i don't know if i i completely understand the question uh but the uh basic problem is that yeah the standards the standards of uh what we see today uh every in everyday life as technology is like build built uh in the in the Western world, uh, uh, where resources were originally found in Africa, some, and 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 manufactured maybe in Asia, etc. Uh, uh, can can you maybe give a precision? Is it uh, how we how do we perceive that today as African, or how, what 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 is the point you want to question? I guess I guess yeah, good question. Like, what do we need to do about that, and how does that? speak to the conversation around decolonizing it. So, you know, as an example, for my universe, for my um, dissertation, I kind of did it around like Coltan and the idea that like, you know, in the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo, um, the mining of Coltan, Cobalt, all these kind of minerals was kind of fueling like civil wars in Congo, but actually also no one cares because we need it and we extract it. And there's a real disconnect within the supply chains. 
And I was just basically saying, you know, when you look at like colonial supply chains, you kind of had the same thing, but this kind of information revolution is creating it in a new way. Um, so I guess I was just wondering like what you guys thought about that and one, how do we, how do we decolonize it? Like how do we change those supply chains or I guess you could say, or, or, or the way it's manufactured. And like, and I guess I was more speaking to employment, like how employment speaks on that. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I think the big problem currently is that uh, in Africa or the countries that uh, give the raw, the, the raw, the raw materials, uh, uh, we don't uh, invest enough in, in education so that we have people um, locally that can transform those raw materials into uh, finished products. And uh, the problem is also that uh, when we have those people, we, we don't necessarily give them, um, they don't necessarily have uh, all the setting to develop the ideas and etc. So uh, I think the Western industry can easily uh, have an advantage in this situation because uh, here you have so much investment uh, so that firstly in education, in tech education, uh, you have engineers, you have uh, uh, researchers, etc., cutting edge uh, uh, researchers. Uh, sometimes lots of them are also uh, from the the, 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 uh, I would say from Africa or others uh, marginalized uh, 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 continents or countries. Uh, but you don't have uh, currently the ecosystem that allows uh, 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 the populations uh, 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 in those countries to really benefit from the technologies. Currently, they are just selling their raw materials uh, in order to get finished product, manufactured product. And then the big added value is completely lost. So we are losing everything. Uh, we are losing our, our, raw mat our raw materials and we are also losing economically. Uh, so the only solution for that is, uh, first of all, we are as African to, 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 to take our responsibilities, if I could talk like that, uh, speak like that, uh, and create the ecosystem. And we have to work with local govern, governments. We, we, we can't do without them. But the initiatives have to come from people, from, uh, yeah, people. We, we can't just wait for government, but we have to be uh, really uh, at the yeah, uh, uh, how can I say? We have to be the ones uh, leading uh, maybe some 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 big programs and projects uh, to uh, uh, constrain our governments to 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 invest in education in technologies so that we can create uh, locally what we need and do not. We we have to arrive to at uh, at point in which we don't necessarily need to export our raw materials. We can build the te technology locally, and we can also sell it to the rest of the world. Uh, if we don't come to that point, I think uh, everything will, will be lost at the point. But I think I think it's I think it's hard though because I think you know I think that sounds nice in theory, but like we're three Africans that don't live in Africa. And I think, you know, it speaks to like the brain drain that's happened since, you know, post-colonialism where, you know, my parents left and I don't know, obviously know about you guys, but I'm just more saying like people go where there's opportunity and 
um, like I was born in this country, but I don't necessarily have any plans to go and live in Nigeria. And I say that just because like one, my life is here, but two, <laughs> the infrastructure is here to also allow me to live a certain life. And even if I talk about wanting to like develop Africa and all these things, I think sometimes as someone from the diaspora, I don't want to sound so it's, it makes, if I feel colonial even saying that because there are things happening. I do. I, I even think that like, do you know what I mean? I think there's like, if I go to Nigeria, like everyone is smart. It's not, it's not as though, you know, the intelligence is not there, but I think it's a bit deeper than people just not wanting to do it or the infrastructure. I think it's actually like, there's so, <laughs> there's so many issues. I don't even know where to start with them. Do you know what I mean? I guess even to, to um, say one point and then Ufa, maybe you can jump in. Like I think about, you know, this week, um, the Nigerian government has taken away the Twitter ban. So as we know, Nigeria was, um, Nigeria, <laughs> like one day the Nigerian government decided that Twitter no longer exists in the country and basically banned it. And, you know, whether there was, there's multiple reasons their reasoning for it but at the end of the day that was incredibly democratic because one day it was in the country and one day it wasn't and um it was kind of after the the um, president tweeted something which was kind of inciting violence against like Ibo people but you know that does show the power of the and and obviously now they've reignited it and I, I know for maybe you you can speak on this but I just mean in the sense of like you look at the governments or like I can speak of Nigeria but it's so corruption is so entrenched within Nigeria and then also um but then actually you have a like lots and lots of incredibly smart people in the country and then you also have like you know the realm of colonialism cloaking this whole thing um that isn't just you know something that happened and no longer happens it, it's still something which affects the country and so it's hard to kind of think about like how we how we start how we how we solve that Personally, um, I think that, um, well, first of all, let me speak about the, um, let me say, the, when it comes to businesses and employment um, and colonization. Yeah. Um, I think that with regards to that, um, it, uh, it has a lot to do with the power dynamics. For example, even in the global majority, we still see instances where um, talents, resources, and a lot of that are being exploited from the global south and used to produce more resources in the Western world and that's eventually that the um, global south has to pay um, a lot of money to try to um, get access to. So I feel like that has a lot to do with the exploitation of technical skills and um, gatekeeping Mm -hmm. of the, um, let me say, the rules, software development jobs and the rest for, um, um, it's not so inclusive. And then um, with regards to using, um, let me say, innovating around how social media and internet technology has evolved from the Western region and even the cultural values for, for that. Um, I certainly agree that as internet technology as a whole has evolved from the Western region, internet cultures such as social media advocacy for government ac- accountability have also evolved and have become largely adopted globally. Um, However, um, I would not say that that particular culture is purely Western because um, over the past two years, we have seen how Nigerian young people have unearthed Twitter on so many levels for collaboration, e-commerce, networking, education, entertainment, etc. Most recently, we saw them take social media and locate it to 
another level globally. I'm talking about hashtag MSAS, where um, Nigerian young people use yeah. Twitter to expose various instances of police brutality and government corruption in Nigeria. This just goes further to show how the global majority has specific needs with regards to technology and how they are in the best position to innovate around their technological solution based on their real life experiences all the time. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I feel like on the exploitation thing, something I wanted to highlight when you were talking about social media and the kind of employment, I was reading that most moderation is done in places like Nigeria, the Philippines, India, places where people obviously speak English due to colonialism, but obviously speak English as a first language. But that means a lot of these moderators are looking at the things we don't see on social media, like all the bad stuff, the racism, the homophobia, the child you know, pornography, all that sort of stuff is the jobs that people, if they, if they wanted to work in like a social media site, would have to take in the global south. And I think that reinforces that balance because, you know, you're looking at the kind of nice stuff, the creation in the in the West, but the kind of horrible bits in the South. So I think when you talked about the kind of employment, like I see that, but I think you make a really good point about the whole utilizing it for like for different purposes. And I think the NSARS movement is an amazing example of that because you saw um, you saw people on the ground, but also the diaspora coming together to create this amazing narrative that made it a global narrative. And you've seen that a lot in non, what in the global South a lot, but given how easily that power could be taken away in a country like Nigeria, like how do, you know, young people or active in, how do they, how do they ensure that that kind of remains at the forefront of people's minds, even if, even if the government is so easy to sort of take that power away from them? Um, I think that it has a lot to do with the population, to be honest. Um, Nigerian young people um, developed this saying at that point, so it's okay, means speak up. Like, we realize that nobody's coming, like nobody's coming to help us uh, address the core issues that we face in our society. And unless we can literally stand up for ourselves and speak up about these things, there's literally no other source um, or solution that we can explore. So um, when that freedom um, on social media and Twitter was taken away from us, it was very easy for us to transition and move on. It was not just about, that was a platform. Um, it was easier for us. We, we found solutions. The Nigerian and the Nigerian population, like you mentioned, in diaspora is so much and they were included in um, that um, um, campaign as well. So it was easy for them to use the networks formed to continue passing on their message. So even though the government took away the voice from the platform, I feel like the message and the seed had already been passed out. So um, even the people locally were still able to um, explore solutions such as VPNs and used that, got on that, and always finding different ways to just not be silenced and continue moving on. Because um, like I said, it's all about the um, the people, the population being ready to not just take any kind of um, 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 government shutdown or the internet of any form. This is a bit controversial to say, but going back to the element of culture though, could it be argued that this concept around like, you know, 
as we see the internet evolve, we're seeing like a lot of these kind of like protests and movements of countries which in theory are authoritarian, authoritarian. Like you can see kind of, you know, the emergence, like it happened with the Arab Spring or like you said, like more, more recently with NSARS, like you see the power of social media being used to say like, we want democracy, we want rights. But could that be argued that's kind of a Western concept, which is, you know, kind of seeping into like other countries and actually it's something which is being created as a value by big tech companies? That's actually a very interesting point of view that you've raised, Helen. Um, I've never actually thought about it that way. It's very easy to say that um, it's very easy to say that um, the whole concept of um, we want rights and we want um, this um, all those um, advocating strongly on social media for um, what you want or your position on uh, your political position um, was started mainly by um, the Western region. Um, However, um, I think that the adoption that is going on currently is what it's not done hook, line, and sinker. Um, where actually there's still some um, element of um, innovation um, among the populace that take on this kind of practices to check what actually, um, to see how those practices best fit their own needs and how... Um, what parts of it to take on, what parts of it to leave out and um, things like that, basically. That's my opinion on that. Yeah, and uh, almost all the countries uh, adopted the Universal uh, Declaration of, of Human Rights. And uh, this, I think we, we can't no more say that these are Western, uh, Western uh, view of the things uh, if it is about just respecting each other and uh, giving each other the um, uh, the chance uh, of successing in life, and I think this is something that uh, anybody uh, uh, on on the earth want to be sure of. You want to be sure of 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 ha- of having a good life, of of having the basic needs that you need to survive, and this is not just the needs of Western people. Uh, uh, I think even thinking like that is also colonial. I think because uh, you you you're saying that having the rights of living, of uh, eating, of having like basic rights is Western. I don't think so. I think every humans are equal. <laughs> okay, just to just to be clear, I do th- like, just to be clear, I believe in human rights. I <laughs> I believe that everyone, you know, deserves shelter, health, um free I I personally this is a personal belief, but I personally believe that shelter, um access to free med- to free healthcare and um and education. Personally, like that's my personal point of view, but I believe that's a right that everyone should have. But I would argue that element is a negative freedom so by that I mean those are the basics to be a human I guess I was more saying and that's I was more saying concepts like because you can live in a society and and this is the thing you can live in a society that doesn't give you the right to say your political opinion about the government and I'm not necessarily saying that like I'm not saying a country in general but I'm saying in theory yes you can live in a country which says like you are not allowed to critique the government, but you can all, that same country can give you 50 grand a year and free access to all your basic needs. And 
you know, I've lived in countries like that before where I wouldn't necessarily critique the government, but in terms of like the quality of life of people, they're good. And so I'm just more saying, I guess my point of view was just more clarifying, like, is it that technology companies are, are giving universal rights to everybody? And now people in certain countries are deciding, or not deciding, but now, because if, if, if moderation in a, on a social media site says like, this is good and this is bad, as an example, they are pretty much deciding the values internationally, transnationally and globally. Like, and I was more clarifying, you know, like, are they creating what a Nigerian should be? Um, about that, I think that um, that's actually a really valid point, first of all. But however, I believe that technical and technology policy is not one size fits all. What works for the Western region definitely probably doesn't work um, entirely for, um, let me say, the African community. For example, in African communities, even little global culture, like the way you text, the songs that you stream, the way um, what may be slang in this place, what may be a greeting in another place. Those um, talking about content moderation, for example, in some places um, it may be okay to use some words, but in another place, um, if you use them there, it can be like a slur, for example. Um, or for example, mm. when um, two people of the same race are talking to each other, there are some words that they can use on social media, but if people from another race um, are using those words, then um, it may be... Um, termed offensive and things like that. So um, basically, um, I feel like um, the, despite the fact that the technology companies have put themselves way up there and are being the um, judge, the legislation and the juries most of the time, um, it, is, it, is, um, it is very easy to say that there are still processes that are going on, even on the local level, for making technology policies that suits the needs of the communities that they are supposed to serve. Yeah, and we actually have a, a number of public policy internet forums and events that are um, made specifically for these um, purposes. Yeah, it is definitely right. You, We have some specificities, uh, even among African countries, among regions, and uh, what are, uh, defines, uh, I would say, I would say, accept what are the basic uh, 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 human values that we can agree on. Uh, I think there could be some, yeah, uh, cultural values uh, that 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 are maybe specific to to a region, etc. So the fact that uh, the big tech companies are leading what is culturally accepted now or not could be. Mm. Yeah, could lead to some some, some could, could lead to some biases uh, in terms in terms of what uh, what is agreed what 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 we agree on uh, uh, being the right things to do or not. So it is really, I would say, it is not on yes or no question. It is not on good or bad question. Um, it is really a question that should be. Uh, answered by each community, um, uh, and each community should try to set some, yeah, what is considered as good or bad. I would say, except what every humans can be uh, can agree on. Uh, uh, we we really have to 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 have really some yeah some some distinction between what is the basic of every humans and maybe what is culturally. Uh, like yeah, cultural cultural values. What are cultural values that we can agree on or not? 
Yeah, it's interesting, but I guess I don't know who who controls that. It's social media sites who control that or the tech companies that control that. Like, I feel like what you're saying, Giles, is like good and utopic, but on the ground, that doesn't happen because if, as we've already said, the like social media sites are in the West and they're controlling the narrative, then what is your local culture and what your local cultural values isn't necessarily prioritized, I guess. Exactly, exactly. And that's why we are fighting so that uh, uh, the people uh, in those marginalized regions are also represented. And, and this, is a, this is a fight. Uh, this, we, we have to fight for that. And uh, the, the Western world will not come and just give us this right of uh, setting our values also in those platforms. Mm. We have to fight. We have to build communities that have some voices on, uh, not only on those platforms. Why not also, uh, yeah, it, 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 it will involve lots of means, but why not also uh, working to build also African platforms that could uh, one day, I think, uh, have the same uh, influence as the big tech platforms. Why not us? First of all, I think that uh, building communities on tutors, on Facebook, on etc., on on other uh, social media is a first step, and we are on that way. And once those communities are stronger, they could also claim the right of having the the the, the platforms that come from 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 the members of those communities and i think this will later uh, a more diversify uh, 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 map of social media i hope so uh, so it could be utopian but i deeply hope that if the communities work together and 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 and, and in heads in hand i think things can happen uh you know yeah. exponential way yeah i love your point of view <laughs> And I think as well, it's like, um, like for instance, like BBC News having it in um, Pidgin, which is, you know, like colloquial, colloquial English for like West Africa, I guess I, I, you could say. Just just clarifying for people who don't understand what Pidgin is. But I think that's an example of like where, you know, the BBC has gone out of their way to, because I think having something in like full English, you know, is people, like people across the world speak English, but at the end of the day, people across the world don't speak English like they are born and raised in England. And I think that's a real distinguishing, like, like when I lived in Malaysia, there was like the equivalent of pigeon, but like Asian. <laughs> and then, like, you know, then you have like pigeon in, so it's just so, you know, it's so niche and so particular and it would be ideal if everyone could have that. And then obviously I think it also takes away that kind of this is the right way to speak English and this is the wrong way because like, what is that really other than entrenched colonialism within itself? Yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of the end of the podcast. I feel like I could speak to you guys about this for ages, actually. Because um, I was even going to bring up the idea around um, local v international. And maybe you guys can speak about this because maybe this is my last point. But I'll give you an example and then you guys can tell me what you think. Again, going back to like my time when I lived in Malaysia, I remember that if I called an Uber driver, if I called the if I called an Uber, like the Uber driver might call me and say like, "Hey, like meet me around the side," because he doesn't want to come to the front because he didn't want the like the local taxis to beat him up. And that was just because like Uber was just coming in the country, and obviously Uber is taking away like Uber, an international business, which I feel more safe 
going in an Uber, one, because I'm not going to get cheated and two, because I can track it, especially as a woman. And I feel more safe going in an Uber than some random local taxi man that just says he's a taxi man, even though in theory they could be the same thing. But obviously, I guess I'm more speaking to the localism versus the internationalism, if you want to call it. And if all these international businesses that we all recognize are Western and they're coming to sort of, you know, the global South, what does that do? What does that do for the local businesses? And like, well, yeah, like the demise, demise of local businesses. Is that a good thing? Because I already said as a woman, I feel, I feel safer going in an Uber, to be honest. But like, what does that do to local businesses? Um, I think that when it comes to um, local versus um, international for local consumption, I would most of the time always lean towards um, local consumption. Like, it's not as if the local services are not good. They are just not getting the same amount of investment and opportunities that the international businesses are probably getting. So, for example, if um, speaking of, um, more about um, a bit more about um, how um, AI could be decolonized, if we're going to look at the way that um, that could be done, um, it certainly takes um, a multi-stakeholder approach for this, let me say, diversity when it comes to consuming technologies locally could be carried out practically. For example, we could there could be more investments into um education and skills among the locals. Um, there could be more AI research and uh, more in investment into AI um, research and products that are locally produced. And they should create more spaces for local AI researchers to showcase their work to the global um, space so that they can get more investment or even um, more uh, rather than introducing the foreign businesses or the foreign technologies into local spaces, there should be collaborations between the local spaces and the international spaces so that the local um, technologies get um, equal visibility as well. And then um, most importantly, there should, um, rather than just um, thinking that the local um, technologies are probably not good enough, um, there should be um, more conduction of um, proper research into embedding these technologies into the communities that they are supposed to be served in such a way that they meet um, the standards. For example, you've mentioned a number of peers that you had with consuming the local products. Um, those, and that is research that can be um, worked on, that can be um, solved and carried out to be able to create solutions rather than just um, saying, hey, there are problems and then everyone just leaves them. So I think that's my two cents on that. I just want to take the example of China in the 80s. They, they, they had lots of gap between the technologies and the Western technologies. And uh, uh, there, there were lots of uh, Western companies that wanted to, to go over there. So what they, they decided, they, they say, okay, you can come here, but you won't be the boss here. You can come but you have to ally with some local companies. And mm -hmm. so that uh, uh, with time, the technologies that you're using, you have to transfer them. They, they, they don't say it explicitly like that, but yes, there are set yeah. rules uh, that lead to that. And uh, those yeah. rules allow local companies after some decades to be able to build the same uh, products that were imported from the Western. So I think these are opportunities that we can uh, 
we can grab uh, 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 constraint to the fact that our governments should have some regulations and should really work for the interest of the country. So, yeah. yeah. No, to- totally agree. I think sometimes, especially if I look at the, like, the kind of African context, it's so hard because, you know, with a lot of these kind of policies that were created post-colonialism with, with the IMF, they basically entrenched, you know, Africa to debt. And then they pretty much have to go for like the lowest price because of all these international debts. So, I mean, and they did that in South America and they did that in Africa. So it's hard sometimes because countries rather than be like, even though they know they're screwing over their people and they know this, even if they are a corrupt government, they know it's not, you know, corrupt governments still have to make money. Sometimes it's like they have to go for the lowest price because people know they're on their knees. So it's hard sometimes. But that's but I totally agree. And actually, just to go back to my original example, I would take a local taxi if they weren't trying to screw me over and if their prices were good. So like you said, Ufa, with the kind of collaboration. Yeah. If you guys did things properly and like, you know, then I would just take local taxis. I think same here. I would take black cabs in the UK if they weren't, you know, if they were the same prices as Ubers, but they 100 percent are not. That's just for tourism. (laughs) So, yeah. But yeah, that's everything. I Like I said, I could sit and talk to you guys about this forever. And like, I feel like <laughs> I'm glad I challenged you on a couple points. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for spending your afternoons speaking to me. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Um, it was really awesome talking to you. <laughs> and thanks for sharing your personal experiences also. Your time in Malaysia must have been really awesome. Apart from <laughs> yeah, it's good. It was great. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Let's Get Lytical podcast. Please leave us a review on Apple or rate us on Spotify. We would really appreciate it. This episode was produced by Hannah Kane, edited by Matt Campbell and animations online by Jonas Fenston. Thanks for listening. Bye. Cool.